0: We're going to ask the Lord to help us. And uh, we're going to jump into the Word of God uh, this morning. So let's pray, ask for God to focus our attention, and then we'll dive into God's Word here in just a moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to give us to be able to open your Word. I pray now that you help us to bro- bring our attention to captivity, be able to focus our minds. I pray, God, that for the from the youngest person to the oldest, that this morning, that we'd be able to hear from you. God, you know this message is going to be a little bit different. Uh, it's going to be a little bit uh, uh, away from what we've been doing and, and a little bit different even maybe in the delivery. I just pray, God. that as the message is preached, God, that you'd soften our hearts. Help us, God, to hear from you this morning. We want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. And we ask, God, that you meet with us in a unique and a special way. God, thank you for this opportunity to be able to preach your word. And thank you for this time of the year where we can celebrate you coming to the earth for us. We pray all of these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, hey, as many of you know, we've been going through the book of Mark for a long time, all right? In fact, we haven't stepped out of the book of Mark in in quite some time. But for the next couple of weeks, next few weeks, all right, about the next four weeks or so, we're going to step out of the book of Mark and we're going to preach on this subject, a Christmas miracle. A Christmas miracle. That's that's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to talk about some miracles in the Scripture. Scripture. And, and listen, I know that we're almost finished with the book of Mark and some of you are sitting here going, oh, we're, fi- we're going to pull away right before we're, we're done. Uh, listen, we'll circle back around to it. We're going to come back and, and we will finish up the book of Mark, I promise you. Uh, we've got a lot of incredible things that we're going to be looking at as we look at the death of Christ. That's where we are in the book of Mark. Uh, but for just a few mo- weeks, we're going to pull away and, and we're going to sp- specifically look at some Christmas miracles that we find in the Scriptures. Now, I... I love Christmas. I love everything about it. I, I just do. I, I mean, like I, I love every every part of it. Um, I love I love the lights. I love the trees. I, I love the cookies. I love the gifts. I love the get-togethers. I love the songs, as we've already talked about. I love everything about it. I do. I just. I. I, I mean, even this morning, you wake up and and uh, we we were talking uh, this morning. I was talking with Jose and Chelsea. And this morning, waking up and, and looking out, and it was still dark outside. But just kind of looking outside, and it was like, oh, I think that's white on the ground. I didn't. I wasn't sure. I you know, I forgot that we live in Montana, and and there is actually a winter time that is going to come. And uh, you know, and, and I'm looking out there, and oh man, you know, I mean, I just, I love everything about it. Listen, I even love the claymations with the guy in the red suit, okay? They're, you know, I know we got to bring this up every year because, listen, I'm a big fan of the claymation uh, movies uh, from, from the past, and some of you may think that I'm crazy, uh, but uh, my wife thinks it's nuts. Every once every year, I try to sneak them in, and she tries to stop our kids from watching them, and I just feel like she's ruining Christmas for me, but uh, we, we try, to, try to get them in there. Uh, I, I love everything about it. Some of my favorite memories growing up come from from this time of the year i i can remember going and and uh we we would have a christmas party every year and i can remember my great grandma every year she'd make the same thing she'd make christmas uh cut uh jello slices and uh, i i can remember every year in all, all different colors we would have uh, christmas sliced uh, uh christmas tree sliced jello slices and and stars and, and and we would we would eat these jello slices every year i i can vividly remember that uh you know i i can i can uh you know, I, I think about uh, whenever my brother and I were, were younger and we would wake up on Christmas Eve or well It'd be Christmas morning at like three o'clock in the morning And we'd have to go out there just to see if there were any presents underneath the trees Okay, and, and now I get paid back for it. It's awful And uh, you know, but I, I can remember we we would wait and we, we we'd we go and we'd, we'd look at that I can remember uh, eating or drinking eggnog for the very first time And the reason I remember that is because it was just like 10 years ago uh, That I that I drank eggnog for the very first time because in my family, for some reason, they thought the only type of eggnog that there was was spiked eggnog, so we never had it before. And, uh, and then I met Tressa, and she corrupted me. And so now, I'm a lover of eggnog. I, I do. I, I, love, I love eggnog. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I remember all of these things. To me, there, there's nothing like waking up on Christmas morning with white covering the ground, Christmas music playing, and you can almost smell... Chestnuts that are roasting on an open fire. And uh, I have no idea what that actually smells like, and I don't know if people actually do that. But, uh, I mean, in my mind, I can almost smell it, all right? Uh, I love Christmas. But for others, this time of the year is nothing but stress. Uh, you may be here uh, this morning, and, and you hear about all these things, and all you're thinking is, Ah, you know, I mean, I got so many things that I have to do. It's a, it's a rat race with with never enough time and you're trying to balance the parties and the presents and, and and no matter what you do, no matter how much you try, it seems like nothing goes according to your plans. Just feels out of control. Sometimes in in the midst of the craziness, it's easy to feel like everything is just falling apart. And rather than, than seeing Christmas miracles, all you see is Christmas chaos. Well, you know, I think that that's kind of where Adam and Eve found themselves in Genesis chapter number 3. Like everything was falling apart. Like all the things that maybe they thought was in their control, all of a sudden was nothing but chaos. Chaos. God had created the heavens and the earth. It's an incredible uh, uh, thing that, that you really think of. We hear it so many times that sometimes it almost seems like it's just a, a fairy book, a fairy tale that, that, that we, we hear, and yet it really happened. Uh, we were talking with some people the other night and, and just discussing some things about creation and, and the fact that I believe in a big bang. I believe that God said, Let there be and bang there it was, okay I mean, God created, I mean He spoke, and the world came into existence I mean it 's absolutely incredible, and you, you go through Genesis chapter number one, and you see as God spoke and as he created the heavens and the earth and and he made the uh, everything that was in them, and everything that considered he, he threw the sun into the star into the sky, and he, he put the moon in the sky, and he created the stars also, and then he created the fish and the fowl of the air, and then he made the beasts of the grounds. And then on day number six, when we have that wonderful passage that tells us that God made man in his own image. Created Adam, we know, and the Bible tells us that he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. Hey, don't forget, there are only two things that God breathed into. One was man, and he became a living being. The other, the Bible tells us that God's word is inspired. Okay, what does that mean? It means God breathed. That's really literally what inspired means. God breathed into it. God's word is, is, listen, God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and he breathed into this book, and it became a living book. Now, it's not going to get up and crawl away, but I can tell you this anytime that you open the Word of God, anything, the time that you read it, God will speak to you from it. It was on that sixth day, he created man in his own image, and and then we know that the, the Bible tells us that, that Adam in chapter number two is going through, and he's naming all the animals, and it's kind of a funny situation. In fact, I'll I'll share it with you. In verses 19 and 20, or uh, if you have your Bible, you can look at it. It says this, and out of the, the ground, the God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them, and whatsoever heaven called every living creature, that was the name thereof, and Adam gave names to all the Cattle and the fowl, the air, and every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found in helpmeet for him. It's almost like Adam sitting there and like he's naming all these these animals, right? You know, I mean, you, you think about, it. I mean, like here here comes the cows. Oh yeah, that's the cows and. Here comes this this thing that's jumping. Oh, that's yeah, a kangaroo, you know. And and uh, here comes this weird looking bird that he, I mean that, that doesn't look like a bird at all. It's an ostrich. You know, I mean like he's going through and, and he's naming all these things. Of course he didn't actually give them those names. That's what we call them. But he gave them all names, right? And and, and it's like it's almost like he look, goes he gets through all of them and the Bible says there wasn't a mate found for him. <laughs> I don't know if that is, if that's amusing to you like he's going through and he's like, yeah, just not none of these are working for me, you know. I don't know. And uh, you know, he just he goes through and and none of the, and and God sees us and the Bible tells us that that God puts Adam to sleep and he takes a rib from his side. And, and uh, I mean, what a beautiful picture. You know, it's, it's, it didn't take it from the foot, you know, from the heel, you know, uh, he, he didn't take it from the head. Uh, no, he took it from the side because she's supposed to be beside him and, and, uh, you know, and, 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 and created, created Eve, right? And now she didn't, she didn't have that name. In fact, Adam named Eve, okay? Not, didn't give her the name Eve, but the Bible tells us that he named her woman. And I really think that he looked and said, whoa, man. You know, I mean, I really think that's what happened. And, and, and there we go. And now we've got, we've got woman. I mean, what an incredible, incredible thing. And I mean, you come to the end of chapter number two, and it's just like, ah. Oh. I mean, like, it's just, yeah, it's just great. I mean, things are, things are wonderful. And then you turn the page to chapter number three. And that's where we're going to be. We know that the Bible tells us in the beginning of chapter number three that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. And, uh, and we know that Satan indwelling this serpent comes, and, and what does he do? He, he comes to, to Eve, and, and we talked about it last week as, as he came to her, and, and he said, listen, he said, did God say that you're not supposed to eat of the fruit? And she said, oh, listen, we're not supposed to eat of it, we're not supposed to touch it, I mean, we're not supposed to have anything about it, lest we die. I mean, she was adding all kinds of things to God's word. You mark it down. If you don't know God's word, you're going to struggle with following God's word. She didn't know it. You know, she, she was adding all kinds of things to it. And Satan looked at her and said, oh, thou shalt not surely die. And listen to what he told her. He said, in the, God, God knows that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open. You shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. Now, here's what's the amazing part. Adda, Eve ate that fruit. She gave it to her husband, Adam. And listen to what the Bible says in verse number 7. And the eyes of them both were opened. Did what, what Satan said was going to happen, happen? Yeah, it did. He told them, he said, if you eat it, your eyes are going to be opened. They ate of that fruit and what happened? Their eyes were opened. But when their eyes were opened, they didn't like what they got. And sometimes whenever we think we know what we want and then we ultimately get it, we realize we don't want what we got. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. We know the Bible tells us that they hid themselves from the Lord. The voice of God comes into the cool of the day walking in the midst of the garden. Where art thou? Adam and Eve were hiding themselves. They All of a sudden, everything had changed in their life. They, they realized that What they got wasn't what they wanted. And and, and now suddenly everything's changed in their relationship with God. And instead of this sweet fellowship with Him, now they're hiding from Him. And that's where we find ourselves to verse number 14. And the Bible tells us in verse number 14, you can look in your Bibles or the screen. The Bible says this, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle... Of every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. It's interesting in verse number 14 because the Bible tells us that it's at this point that the serpent is no longer able to walk. I mean, just think about that. There's only one, there's a couple things that are scarier than a snake, okay? Some of you, maybe you like snakes, and. I question your sanity, okay? I just do, all right? And uh, but I mean I hate snakes. There's there's a couple things that's scarier than, than than a snake, okay? One is you've probably seen on National Geographic the snakes that fly through the air, okay? That's absolutely horrifying, okay? That just steps things up a whole nother level. But the another thing that's really scary is snakes that have arms. And, and legs and can stand up, okay? Because that's kind of what it seems like what it was, okay? This, this serpent, I mean, we you know, can you just imagine, I mean, we've all seen a cobra, right, that, that comes up like this and it's, oh, that's, that's freaky. You know, that's scary. I mean, can you just imagine I mean, a snake that comes walking along, standing up on a time, I mean, like, that would be terrifying, okay? And, and, and God tells us here that God curses the serpent so that it's no longer able to do that, no longer to, to walk around now, it will slither around in the dust of the earth. That's the curse that's put upon it. But look at verse number 15. Because verse number 15, as we're sitting here today, as we're thinking about Christmas and all these things, it's easy for us to think, what in the world? Why is Kyle uh, preaching in Genesis about Christmas stuff? I mean, this doesn't really make any sense. Well, we're going to see it here. Look at verse number 15. God says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Verse number 15 is where the miracle happens. Verse number 15 is where everything changes. Verse number 15 is the key to Christmas. Because verse number 15 was the first time that we see that even though Adam and Eve had sinned, God had a plan to cover their sin. See, in, in, in verse number 15, the Bible says this, her seed... Now listen, while the world is confused about the natural biology and science, we understand that it takes the seed of man to, to, to require conception to take place. And, and the Bible tells us in, in, in Romans chapter number 5, whereas by one man, sin entered into the world, death by sin, and death passed upon all men because all men are sinners. They've all sinned. It isn't that we become sinners, we're born naturally with a predisposition to sin. That's the way that we are born. Because of Adam who had sinned, his seed is passed to every person. We all stem from the, the genealogy, the lineage of Adam. We're all from Adam and Eve. And because of this, we have the seed of man. But don't miss what verse 15 says because this is the key really to Christmas. The first example of what Christmas was going to be, what was going to come. Verse number 15 tells us, her seed... Her seed, In a moment when everything seemed lost and, and it appeared that the perfect plan of God was already derailed and, and with one bite the whole world was now tilted off of his axis. And While Adam and Eve probably believed that they had just ended God's plan uh, just after it had begun we find in verse number 15 the miracle that God already had a plan in motion to pay for the failure and sin of the whole world world because her seed written in verse number 15 is a reference to the one who would come to this earth one day that was not born of man. He was not contaminated by Adam's sinfulness. He would be born, the Bible tells us, of the Holy Ghost. Just as God spoke the world into its existence with a mere shadowing of the Holy Ghost. 4,000 years later, a young lady, a young woman named Mary would conceive of the Holy Ghost. And she would bring forth a child that we will look at in the next couple of weeks. This child named Jesus. Jesus. And as we're just getting to the end of Mark, we know that Jesus would live a perfect life, be betrayed, bruised, and nailed to a cross. That's why verse number 15 gives us that prophecy there. It says, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. That bruises heel. What is that? That's a direct, uh, uh, direct reference to what was going to happen one day when Satan, that old serpent, would bite at Jesus Christ and would bruise him and he would be crucified on the cross. Oh, but three days later, three days later, Jesus Christ would rise up from the grave. He would conquer death. And one day he will take that old serpent, the devil, the Bible tells us. And he will cast him into the lake of fire for all of eternity. And he truly will crush his head. He will bruise his head. Just as the prophecy tells us in Genesis chapter number 3, verse number 15. When all seemed lost to Adam and to Eve, God had the greatest gift already planned. Back before time even began. And in verse number 15, it's revealed this beautiful gift. The seed of woman. Jesus Christ. God always has a plan. In Genesis chapter number 37, we're introduced to a man named Joseph. He was that boy at that time. He was just a young boy. And the Bible tells us about this boy named Joseph. He came from a messed up family. I mean, he just did. his his dad's name was Jacob Jacob had a brother named Esau if you go all the way back you'll remember how their life kind of worked out Jacob and Esau had parents where his mother loved one more than the other she loved Jacob more than Esau and one day the Bible tells us that that, that Jacob and Esau's dad was going to give his blessing to Esau and and, and so Esau went out to to kill something to bring and and prepare a meal for his father while he did uh, Jacob's mother uh, that was there there, uh, went and, and prepared a, uh, a meal and, and dressed him up like, so that he would look like his brother went in and, and what happened uh, the Bible tells us that Jacob stole his brother's blessing For the rest of his life, he he would run. He'd never see his mother again. I mean, just constant turmoil. And you would think from all of that that he would have learned that it's not good to give preferential treatment to one child over the other. It's not good to love one child more than the other. Now listen, I know that all of us have favorites, okay? I'm just, no, I'm just kidding, all right? Uh, But listen, that's not good to do, all right? It's not a good thing to do. And you think that Jacob would have learned. But then you come to Genesis chapter number 37, And the Bible tells us that that Jacob, his father, loved Joseph more than all of the other brethren. (laughs) Loved him more than all these other kids. I mean, it's like, come on, how did you not get this? How did you not understand? How did you not figure this out? And, and so the Bible tells us he loves him more than any of them. And so what did he do? He created, he, he made him a coat of many colors. It was this, this special coat that made him stand out uh, from everybody else. And I mean, it just showed that he loved him more than, than any of the rest of Jacob of Joseph's brothers. And, and the Bible tells us in, in Genesis chapter number 37 that one day Joseph dreams a dream. He dreams a dream, and, and this dream that he has is that his brothers and his, bro- and his father and his mother will one day bow down to him, and Joseph was the type of guy that when he had a dream, he wanted to tell everybody about it. All of you probably have experienced this at one point or another. My wife, anytime that she has a dream, the first thing that she has to do is wake up and tell me about it, and uh, I don't know about you, uh, but Tressa, I don't know where it comes from. She has some of the most terrifying dreams, and like she tells me, and I'm like, where did that even come from? I mean, she does not watch scary. Movies. I don't know where it comes from, and uh, but but I mean, like uh, she'll wake me up in the middle of the night, and, and Kyle, I had a dream. I was like good for you you know i mean like come on you know uh, i I was dreaming myself and i'd be just fine to go back to it all right and uh you know uh, and so joseph what did he do well he shared his dream with his brothers and 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 the bible tells us shared with his brothers with his his father and the bible tells us that because of his dream that they hated him even more okay Uh, already they hated him because their dad loved him more than the rest and now they hate him even more because of his dream one day his brothers are out taking care of things and and Joseph, the Bible tells us, is sent by his dad to go and check on his brothers. And, and as he's walking out there, all of a sudden he, he looks and he sees his brothers. His brothers see him and his brothers start to talk amongst themselves. He said, we've got to get rid of this kid. we got to get rid of him. In fact, they wouldn't even call him by his name. You, look, you, you read it, they, they never call him by his name. They call him the dreamer. He comes that dreamer. Oh, can't stand him. And they start to discuss amongst each other, we should just kill him. Just get rid of them. One of the brothers speaks up, says, no, let's not kill him. They take him, they, they rip off his jacket, and they throw him into a pit. Joseph's down in this pit, and he hears his brothers up above talking. You know, we could just kill him, and uh, you know, just get, just get rid of him. I mean, like, you know, how, how would you do it? Well, we could do this, and maybe one of the others, well, you know, let's do a little more humane. We could do this, and you know, I mean, they're, they're back and forth, and and can you imagine me and Joseph down inside of there listening to this? I mean, it's like, are, are, really? Are you kidding me? I don't know what he was doing. I don't know if he was screaming. If he was like, ah, get me out of here. But I, I can't help but wonder if while he was down in that pit, if he didn't think, God, what, what about that dream? This isn't, This isn't what I thought it was going to be. Forget in the Old Testament, we didn't, they didn't have the Bible like we have it today. And so oftentimes God would speak to them through dreams. And So finally they decide, they look off and there's some people, some Egyptians coming through and they pull Joseph up and what do they do? They sell him into slavery. Joseph's taken to a foreign land. He's taken to Egypt. And he makes his way to Egypt. And when he gets there, he's sold. He finds his way into a house of a man that's got some money. A master by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar, uh, the Bible tells us that that God blesses Joseph so much that Potiphar makes him basically in control of everything in the house. One day, Joseph is in there and Potiphar's wife, this, this wicked woman, comes along and she tries to tempt Joseph. And Joseph says, how could I sin? How could I do that? Your, your, your husband has given me everything. The only thing he's kept from, back from me is you. I could not do that and sin against God. There's no way. But the Bible tells us that day after day after day after day, she tried to entice him, tried to deceive him. Finally, the Bible tells us that one day he's in there and she comes after him again, and, and she grabs his coat, and the Bible tells us that he got himself out of there. He fled from the temptation. That's a great recipe for each and every one of us, by the way. But anyway, he, he got himself out of the sin. But then she took it, and she lied about him. When the guards came, he said, listen, he tried to come, he tried to force himself upon me, and, and I've got his coat to prove it. And so what happened? Well, Joseph, who was a noble man, a godly man, trying to do what was right, is now cast into prison. I can't but wonder if there he is, he's in prison, he's done nothing wrong, he's falsely accused. He didn't think to himself, God, what about that dream? This isn't what I expected. This isn't how I thought it was going to work out. He's in that prison for a few years, and while he's there, all of a sudden one day, Pharaoh gets angry, and he throws his butler and his baker into the prison. The Bible tells us his butler and his baker are put in there, and each of them, it's kind of funny, and I actually got to read it to you, because it's, it's, this is pretty great. There he is, he's in there, and I think this is, this is just funny to me. Joseph, one day, he sees them, and he comes over to him. The Bible says in verse number in chapter 40 of Genesis, verse 6-7, it says, and Joseph came unto them in the morning, and he looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the, the ward of the Lord's house saying, wherefore look ye so sadly today? Listen, okay, they're in prison, okay? And Joseph goes to him and he says, why are you guys so sad? You know, I don't know. And it's just like, hello, I mean, you, know, uh, you see uh, chains, right? You know, I mean, but what's funny is their answer, they don't say well, we're in prison. They say, well, we had a bad dream. <laughs> it's just I don't know. It's just comical to me. And, uh, and so, you know, here they are. You know, we got a bad dream, but we don't know what the dream means. And, uh, and Joseph says, well, tell him to me. And they tell him. And, and Joseph interprets the dream for him. It's, it's good. And, uh, and for one of them, he, he interprets the dream. And, and he says, listen, to the butler, he tells him, he says, listen, in and, 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 and three days, he says, you're going to be restored back to the house of Pharaoh. Tells the butler, and the baker's like, oh, that's great news. Listen, I mean, y- your dream was, was so good, and he comes to him, and he says, hey, well, tell me what my dream meant, and Joseph says, well, in three days, you're going to die, and uh, it, was, it was not good news, and, and, sh- and whenever he tells him this, he looks at him, and he tells, that, tells that, that butler, he says, listen, he says, when you're restored, don't forget about me, don't forget about me. I'm down here, I'm wrongly accused. Will you remember me? Yeah, yeah, Joseph, I will not forget about you. How could I forget about you? You told me the dream. I mean, I was having a bad day. I was sad, and you made me happy. I will not forget about you, Joseph. And what happened? Three days later, sure enough, he's restored, and he forgets about Joseph. Two years passed by. Two years. Some of you kids in this room, you've barely been alive longer than two years, okay? I mean, two whole years passed by. One day, Pharaoh has a dream, and he's sad, okay? And, and, and the, butler, the baker, butler looks and he says, wait a second. You need somebody to tell you what your dream means. He says, "I know a guy. When I was in prison, he told me all about my dream." And, and he goes down. And he says, oh, "Listen, pull that guy up." And sure enough, Joseph is pulled up. He tells tells Pharaoh the dream. He says, "Listen, there's going to be uh, the, these three and a half years of prosper, Then there's going to be three and a half years of famine." He says, "You need to store up that which is good during during those first years, and then you need to 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 to." to 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 be ready for those famine years. And and sure enough, it's exactly what happens. And and the Bible tells us that Pharaoh puts Joseph in control over all the land and all the goods that come in. In fact, Joseph is now second in command of everything. Everything. In the entire land. Second most powerful. One day, he's he's sitting there and he's looking out and he's dividing amongst things. And all of a sudden, he looks out and he sees ten men come walking to him. 20 years have passed by at this point from the time he was in the pet. And he looks out and he sees these 10 men walking towards him. And right away he recognizes them; It's his brothers. They haven't changed much. Isn't it funny whenever you, you leave home for a little while and you go back... And everybody's still the same. It's like, you know, you've, your life has changed so much, but then you go back and it's like, man, everything's still the same. And, and, and here they come. They're, they're just the same. But Joseph's changed. I mean, now he's second command in Egypt. They don't recognize him. And what the Bible tells us in, in Genesis chapter number 42, verse number 9, is, is one of the most, I think it's one of the most wonderful verses in all the Bible. The Bible tells us this. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them. Here they are. They come and they bow down before him and all of a sudden, for Joseph, he goes, I remember. When I was in that pit, he was saying, oh God, this isn't what I thought it was going to be like. God, what are you doing here? When I get put in prison, falsely accused, he like, God, what's going on here? I don't, I don't know. What am I doing here? When he was forgotten. God, why am I still here? Two years. But all of a sudden, it all made sense on that day. He looked back and he understood, God. God had a plan all along. I didn't see it. 20 years passed by, but now I understand. God had a plan the whole time. In fact, at the end of his life, his brothers come to him after his dad dies and they say, Oh, oh no, now dad's died, dad. Now Joseph's gonna, I mean, he's gonna come after us. He's gonna take our lives. And Joseph said, No, 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 guys, listen. Satan meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God had a plan all along. He was never out of control. God always had a plan. You know, we don't know much about the man in the book of Acts by the name of Stephen. In fact, there are only two chapters in the New Testament that really tell us much about the life of Stephen. It's in Acts chapter number 6 that we get, probably the most in-depth of his background, of his life, and there's not much there at all. In verse number 5 it says this, uh, that that they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Ghost. And you come down a couple more verses in verse number 8, it says, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. And so we know, I mean, what do we know about about Stephen? Stephen was a full of faith he was full of the Holy Ghost and he did things for God I mean that's basically all that we know about Stephen we don't know much about him but at the end of chapter number six Stephen is brought before a council of elders and scribes and he's falsely accused it looked a lot like the trial that Jesus faced I mean, the council of elders, the, the scribes, they're there. And the Bible tells us they even set up some false witnesses to testify against him. That's exactly what took place. They had these people, they gathered together to testify against him. And in chapter number seven is one of the most powerful and convicting messages that you will find in the entire New Testament. For 53 verses, he begins with Abraham, makes his way through Joseph and to Moses, and ultimately he lands the finger pointing directly at them, and he Points it in their face and he says, you have murdered the one true just one, Jesus. It's powerful. You ought to just sit at go home and and read it after the service. Acts chapter number 7. The people in fury and anger so overcome, the Bible says, that they rush upon him and they begin to gnash on him with their teeth. They literally begin to bite him and then ultimately they begin to stone him. To death, we, we talked about a few weeks ago what a powerful thing it was. As, as Stephen was dying, the Bible tells us that he looked up and he beheld Jesus standing on the right hand of the throne of God. And I believe Jesus was standing up there giving him a, sta- a standing ovation saying, Well done, Stephen. Well done. You finished well. Stephen, you finished your course well. Oh, what a powerful, powerful testimony. But while his powerful example of sacrifice and boldness for the Lord is is admirable and something to be sought after, the question could be brought, why? Why did Stephen have to die? Why did he have to die? I mean, it really seems like his ministry was just getting started. And I mean, a man full of the faith, full full of the Holy Ghost, being used so mightily by God, I mean, he could have done so much more for the Lord. I mean, he didn't even have a full two chapters of the New Testament about him. It was only a a few verses and a message that was recorded that he preached. That's all that we have. But the truth is, that wasn't the last message that he preached. Because sometimes the most powerful message is preached in death, even more than in life. Because standing there while Stephen was being stoned was another man. A young man, very political, very religious, young man named Saul. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter number 7 verse number 58 that they cast Stephen out of the city, they stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. In Acts chapter 8 verse number 1, the very next chapter, it says this, and Saul was consenting unto his death. Literally what this is saying, those people, as they would take their, their jackets off, they're going to stone Stephen. And, and this was what this was a, ze- a resemblance. What they were saying was, we are taking our jackets off and we are laying them at your feet and we are doing this at your behest, at your command. We are putting this upon you. And Paul, Saul was saying, yes, I will take this responsibility upon me. I will be the one that will accept this. Uh, yes, I will be the one that will have given the orders to stone this man Stephen he was consenting unto his death the Bible tells us Saul had a major part in the death of Stephen but this same man Saul we know would ultimately become Paul he would give his life to God he would write the majority of the books of the New Testament and in Acts chapter number 22 Paul is arrested Beaten nearly to death and was given an audience with the chief captain and the multitude of the people. And as he's sharing his story, he mentions a moment that clearly had a deep impact on his life that maybe even turned the direction of his life. In Acts 22, verse number 20, as he's sharing his testimony, he tells them this. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed... I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiments of them that slew him. You look at the story and you see this, the life of Paul. And for anything for him to point out, he looks back and he says, I remember one day when there was a man and I remember his name. His name was Stephen. And I remember when he gave his life. For what he believed. And he said it impacted me so deeply. That it changed my life. It changed my world. And because of Stephen's impact on one man's life. That one man would make an impact on a world for Christ. In Colossians 2 times. By inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Paul writes, I have preached the gospel to every man, to every creature. The gospel went to the whole world through the ministry of the apostle Paul, who was affected by one man who gave his life for the cause of Christ. A life that seemed to be cut so short, seemed like such a waste, And yet God used it to make an impact on someone else that would do far more than maybe what Stephen could have ever have imagined. God always has a plan. Friend, this morning, whoever you are or wherever you are today, can I tell you God has a plan for your life. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, listen, His plan is for your salvation. Hey, listen, we already have seen it. Jesus Christ, He came to this earth. He was born laid in a manger. And the Bible tells us when He was laid in a manger, He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes were grave clothes. It was a precursor precursor to what He was going to do one day. He came to die upon Calvary. To give His life to sacrifice Himself to pay for your sins. And if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you've never asked the Lord to forgive you for your sins, listen friend, I'm not saying did you go to some priest and have him pray a prayer over you. I'm not asking if you were dunked in some water. I'm not asking if you came to church or you gave money in an offering plate or if you did good works or anything like that. I'm not asking if you prayed certain prayers. No, I'm asking you, has there ever been a moment in your life where you realized that you were a sinner and you could not obtain salvation in eternity on your own. And you asked Jesus to forgive you for your sins. And you put your full faith and trust in Him and what He did for you on the cross. If that day hasn't come, then friend, listen, today, that's what you need to do. That is God's plan for your life. The Bible tells us that His will is for everyone to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish and spend eternity in hell. He wants everybody to accept Christ as their Savior. Maybe this morning, you just think you've made a mess of everything. And God could never use your life. Friend, don't forget the miracle in the garden. Don't forget that God was not surprised By the situation that Adam and Eve found themselves in. And listen, God is not surprised by your situation either. He still has a plan for your life. Maybe you find yourself in the pit or in the prison. And and, and listen, God can make a way. When there seems to be no way. When you're in that place and you're thinking, God, what am I doing here? I'm just trying to serve you and do what's right. And God, I don't know. I can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. He hasn't forgotten where you are. He still has a plan. And maybe you can't see how your life is making any difference at all. You have no idea whose life your life can impact for the cause of Christ. And what they will go on to do for Him. God wants to use you. If you'll let him, he has a plan. Friend, during this Christmas season, your plans may fall apart. I mean, it it, it just happens. The party may be a dud. The punch may not be sweet. The people in your life may be a bunch of scrooges. It can happen. You may be someone that's just trying to survive the holidays. But friend, can I encourage you? Embrace the miracles of Christmas. Embrace the fact that four thousand years before that baby was even born and laid in a manger, six thousand years before we stand today, two people thought that everything was a mess. Everything was falling apart. But God came in and said, "I have a plan." One day the seed of woman is going to come. And he's going to change everything. And as we go into this Christmas season and as everything seems so chaotic and so crazy, don't forget, God has a plan. And he's in control. And you can rely on him. When everything's falling to pieces, God is in control. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed this morning as we finished. Young people, you've done so good listening. I appreciate everybody paying such close attention. And maybe this morning you're here. And the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart. And maybe you found yourself in one of those places. Maybe you found yourself where, the, where, where Joseph was in the pit, in the prison. and you're, I mean, you're just, what in the world's going on? Maybe you, you find yourself where, where Stephen was thinking, God, what are you even going to do with my life? I, I just feel like, I feel like I'm not, not leaving anything that's going to last. Maybe you feel like Adam and Eve in the garden. And you just think you've made a royal mess. And how could God do anything with your life? Friend, God is in control. And He has a plan for you. This morning, will you trust Him with it? Will you lean on Him? Will you give it to Him? And see that God can make a way. That He's a plan. When we cannot see the answers. With heads bowed and with eyes closed this morning, we're going to have a time where we can just spend in prayer with the Lord. Let's stand together and the music is going to play. And let's, let's spend a few moments just talking to the Lord. I'd encourage you to pray to Him where you're at. Father, bless this time now of invitation. Work in hearts as only you can, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed and with